We are in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. Let's start to read there. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of, flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This passage begins in verse 13 with the word therefore, which means everything that has been stated previously in verses 1 through 12 have led up to this verse. So let's review very quickly what we've learned in the past few weeks from verses 1 through 12. Because of God's foreknowing, even before the foundation of the world, and God's foretelling, through the prophets giving the plan of salvation, that before even all of that was evident or manifest, because of God's foreknowing and his foretelling that resulted in our being born again into a living hope by the work of the Holy Spirit, even though we suffer trials of every kind, we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy as we await the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That's what we've been going through in these past few weeks. Therefore, because we have been transformed, because we have been brought from death to life, because we have moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, because we are no longer slaves to sin but have been freed to become the children of God, because we have committed to not return again to where we were, because we are not bound to or dwelling in, and because we are not bound by the traumas and the things of the past, because we are not bound in those ways, therefore we are called to be alert. In fact, in the Greek, in First Corinthians, uh, pardon me, in the Greek for this verse, in the first verse of this passage in verse 13, the Greek is we are to gird up the loins of our minds. And we've gone through that phrase before. We are to prepare for action. And what is the action we must take? 
How are we to live on earth as we await Jesus' return? Verses 14 through 25, after that, that first statement, verses 14 through 25 in this passage answers that question in three specific ways. And so verses 14 through 25 are providing three specific action items for us. But verses 14 through 25 can really be summarized in the one statement from verse 16, you should be, or as stated as an imperative, as a command to obey, be holy because I am holy, because your God is holy. The first time I paid attention to that verse, I thought of it as an impossible standard. I was like, how could God possibly expect us to be holy like him? It must be a hyperbolic statement, an exaggeration to make a point. Right? He's just making a point. But surely, surely God doesn't expect us to achieve his holiness. Does he? I mean, he couldn't, right? How could he possibly expect that? Surely he knows that we're going to fall short of his holiness. But over time, I came to understand that God is not calling us to compare ourselves to him and to figure out how to be as holy as him. We cannot. But rather, what God is doing when he says, is, says this is for us to understand him. Because God is entirely holy. There is no shadow of turning with him. There is no sin, no blemish, no unholiness, which means that sin and unholiness cannot abide in the presence of God's holiness. So he's saying, look, this is who I am. This is my nature. This is, this is what defines me. I am a holy God. Once we grasp that, and we simultaneously grasp that this holy God wants to have fellowship with us in spite of all of our sin and in spite of all of this unholiness that may be in us, God desires to have fellowship with us. When we understand that both those things are true, then we understand that God is asking us to become holy so that we can draw near to him. He's not saying be holy just so that you can say that you're holy. He's saying, look, I am holy. I can't help but be holy. I am entirely holy. And so because I want you to be in fellowship with me, because I want you to be close to me, because I want you to be in fellowship, in relationship with me, I want you to be holy. That's a statement of love. And so when we think about that, you know, when we consider that, God is not pointing to his holiness to keep us away from him. He's not saying, I'm holy, don't come close to me. He's not telling us that we can't approach it. God is revealing his nature, his holiness, so that we will long to be holy, meaning we will take every possible action to be able to enter his courts with praise and into his presence with thanksgiving. We will be eager for that. We will desire that. We are saying, oh God, you're showing me the divine pattern of holiness so that my life can be re-patterned, can be patterned correctly according to that pattern. 
We don't have to wonder, we don't have to struggle with figuring out what to do. We know who we can imitate. God calls us to holiness, not as judgment. He's not scolding us, you be holy because I'm holy. He's calling us to relationship. He's wooing us. He says, be holy because I'm holy and I want you to be with me. That's the call of God. That's the power of this statement. And yes, it's impossible for us in and of ourselves to make ourselves holy. We can't do it. Which is why Peter, and we covered a lot of Peter's life last week, which is why Peter, who knows only too well from his own life, that self attempts to be holy, or at least holier than everybody else, won't work, won't succeed. Peter tried it on his strength to be holy for himself. He said, I will never betray you. And, you know, and then he tried to say, well, at least I'm better than all these other folks, even if they betray you, I will, you know, and he tried all those kinds of things. But he knew from his own experience that he could not be holy on his own, which is why he reminds us that we are ransomed, we are set apart, we are consecrated, we are made holy, not by our efforts, not by our traditions or practices inherited from our fathers, not by our keeping of the rules, keeping the law, not by being religious, not by silver or gold, not by anything perishable. We are made holy by the imperishable, the blemish-free, the sin-free, precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we can avail ourselves of. Jesus has paid the price to make us holy. We can be holy because our Lord is holy. And he has made this purification possible. So by appropriating the final and perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for our sins and being cleansed of those sins, does not mean that we can then live our lives in whatever way we please. We can't expect for the holiness of God to come into our lives, for the cleansing of God to take place, and then go say, well, I'll do whatever I want. We won't be able to remain pure in the Lord. We won't be able to remain holy in the Lord. Peter refers to this in 2 Peter chapter 2. Where we'll come to many of these themes as we keep going through these epistles. He says in that, in that 2 Peter chapter 2, he says, if like the sow, the pig, if you return to the mud in which you used to wallow, it doesn't matter how well you were washed, how well you were cleaned, you will become dirty again. You won't be able to remain clean. And that's why Peter refers here in this passage to three action items for holy living, for remaining holy. And we'll go through these very quickly. But action item number one, he says, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. Or as the NIV puts it, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance of God. Don't, don't go back to that. We have seen previously from our study of James chapter 1 verses 14 through 16 and other scriptures that our ungodly thoughts that are not taken captive evoke evil desires. Our thoughts lead to desires, right? Evil desires that are indulged result in sin. And unrepentant sin results in separation from God. Our unholiness separates us from a holy God and not being with God is death. 
So Peter is reinforcing these truths when he warns us not to conform, not to comply with, not to give in, not to be influenced by our old passions, our not-so-old and not-so-easily-forgotten lusts, not to give in to our recurring desires. We could have claimed ignorance in the past, but now, now that we've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, now that we've experienced the cleansing effect of the blood of Jesus, that precious blood that's been you know, shed for us, now that we've experienced true freedom, we must not yield to the temptation of sin. So how do we do that? How do we keep ourselves from this temptation, from giving in to these evil desires? That's why he opens this passage by saying, being alert, being sober-minded, taking every thought captive, being self-controlled, being realistic, and being dependent on the one who makes us whole. There is no shortcut. There is no formula. There is nothing else other than us diligently and in a disciplined manner every day coming to the Lord and say, Lord, I depend on you. When these thoughts come, I depend on you. Lord, when the desires are there, I depend on you. Lord, when all of these things start to crowd in and cause me to, when I'm prone to wander, Lord, I depend on you. I come to the Holy Spirit and I depend on you. And then we resist the devil by the blood of the Lamb. We appropriate that every single day. We're saying, Lord, we thank you that your blood was shed for me. We thank you that your blood was sprinkled on me. These are the truths that we've been reinforcing in these weeks. We thank you that you have shed your blood for me that cleanses me. And then, Lord, we bear testimony. We resist the devil through the blood of the Lamb and our testimony. And the testimony is both to ourselves and to others. That every day we would stand up and, you know, wake up in the morning and we say, we thank you, Lord, that you have given me a sound rest and sleep in this night and that I'm awake this morning because of you giving me breath in my body. But I thank you that for all the days of my life thus far, you have been faithful. You have been good. You have been kind. You have been gracious. And therefore, whatever I face this day, you will still be with me. You will still guide me. You will still direct me. You will help me to resist. You will help me to stand firm. So we testify to ourselves and to others. When we, when we come here on a Sunday morning and we speak the word of testimony, the Lord has answered my prayer. The Lord has transformed me in these ways. The Lord is working in the lives of this person that I'm talking to. The Lord is doing this in our family. We are testifying to the goodness of God and the grace of God. And we're saying, by these same truths, by these same experiences, we're able to encourage one another to persevere in the things of the Lord. So we do not conform to those things that would be the passions of our former ignorance, of the way that we used to live. Action item number two. The Peter is saying here, conduct yourselves with fear, the fear of the Lord, throughout the time of your exile. Or in other words, live out your time here on earth as foreigners in reverent fear, the reverent awe, the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom, guides us to pay attention to the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. When we say, look, I, I, I comprehend that I receive the fear of the Lord. I'm in awe of this holy 
God, this almighty God, I'm this all-encompassing God, when I'm in awe of him, it allows me to be positioned to receive and receive the wisdom of God directly from him so that then I can order my steps. If I have no fear of God, if I have no awe of him, if I, if I have no reverence for him, I'm not going to be paying attention. Or if I'm paying attention, I do it in a distracted manner. I'm not focused. I'm not giving him everything. But when I say, oh, this is an awesome God, when I have that sense, I pay attention. And when I pay attention, he gives me the wisdom that I need to direct my steps. When I do that, the fear of the Lord that is for us to draw near to him, it draws us to his care and compassion for us. When we live and move and have our being in Christ in that way, when we're found in Christ Jesus, we are no longer at home in this world. We, we can't fit in. We can't be comfortable. And we are strangers, foreigners, residing in exile in a land that's not our own. That's how we start to feel about it. Now, we've already talked about this, that because our citizenship is in heaven, and because he's called us to a new and different place, and he's put that, the sense of eternity, and the sense of belonging, and the sense of being with God in that way, he's already put that into our spirits, into our souls, and our minds. Because of that, we know that our time here on earth is temporary. Therefore, we live as ambassadors of Christ while we are here speaking the message of the kingdom of God to the people that are in the world, coming to them not as fellow citizens of the world, but rather citizens of heaven to say, let me tell you about the king of kings. Let me tell you about the citizenship that is available for you. Let me tell you about how this world with all its sufferings and trials and tribulations will pass away, but there is an eternal home with the Lord that is guaranteed for you. That is the message that we have to be able to speak to the world around us with confidence, with love and compassion, but because we understand that we are in exile in the world today. Many of us, most of us, people around us for sure, are doing everything they can to make this world the best that it can be for themselves. Right? Whatever we do, we pursue it with everything to make our lives here on earth as comfortable as possible, as prosperous as possible, as rewarding in some ways as possible. But the whole message of the Word of God is, it, the Lord will add all sorts of things. He'll, he'll take care of all your needs. He'll provide for you. You will never have an issue where you say, I served the Lord and He abandoned me. That's not going to happen. Amen. But... Your point is, or your emphasis has to be, I live in this earth to serve the Lord so that what is given in this earth, what I receive in my hands as his steward, what I receive as the talents, you know, I'm not going to be focused on that. I'm focused on the Lord. So action item number two, we conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile. And then action item number three, we love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We have sincere love for each other. We love one another deeply from the heart. This is the theme that has been coming up all, all this morning already. That, you know, and and here's, the, here's the thing. Almost every biblical principle 
almost every biblical principle, it glorifies the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see it. You know, there's no way to deny the Trinity, the, the, the Godhead, the way in which he moves and acts and lives and, you know, works in our lives. But almost every biblical principle is applied in terms of our relationship with God, our keeping or our obedience to the Word of God, and our fellowship in the body of Christ. You'll see that consistently. The way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are manifest as we are, have that relationship with God the Father, as we are obeying the Word and the flesh, the Word that has become flesh, the fact that Jesus is the Word, that we would obey that Word, and then that we would have fellowship in the body of Christ because of the unity that the Holy Spirit brings, because the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work in the church. So you see this all the time. All the biblical principles have this sort of threefold aspect to it, which means that all of these things that we're studying all of these things that we're learning from the Word of God, it keeps bringing us back to the need for the local church. You can't ignore the local church. The local church becomes the place, the best place for us to obey God's Word in relation to our brothers and our sisters. Because when we actively seek out opportunities in the local church to love and to serve our brothers and sisters when we actively look for ways to encourage, when we actively look for ways to help and to pray and to intercede for them, that is what is going to build this relationship and then this particular command to love one, an one another earnestly from a pure heart. A heart that is purified by the Lord Jesus, a heart that is made pure, a heart that is made holy in the Lord is going to be evident to others in terms of how you love them. Not because you boast about your purity. Not because you can point to your holiness. Look at me. Look at what I do. Look at how I do it. I'm holy. No. The pure heart that the Lord makes and gives in us, the, the pure heart that the Lord transforms us into, that takes our hearts of stone and makes it a heart of flesh and then purifies that heart, washes it clean with his blood. That pure heart that the Lord gives us is going to be manifest in our love for one another. That's what the word is continuing to speak about. And notice how Peter introduces this call to brotherly love. Notice how he said what he says in verse 22. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. We tend to think when I go into the church and I meet that brother or sister who is quite unlovable, I'll wait till I'm pure, then I'll maybe, I may be able to love them, right? Oh, that person, too difficult, too, too troublesome, too quarreling whatever it may be. And so I'm going to wait till God purifies my heart, God cleanses me, and then I'll love them. But you know what Peter says here? Obey the truth. Obey the word to love. And as you love, God will purify your heart. We don't wait. We don't say, you know, in the sweet by and by, then I'll be able to love everybody. Today, these people, you know, I can't love them. We say, I'm going to love them. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to serve them. 
I'm going to be led by the Holy Spirit to impact their lives and for them to impact mine. And in doing that, as I do that, the Lord will continue to purify my heart. He will continue to build me in holiness. Right? The Word of God is telling us that even as our hearts are being purified, it is in the doing, it is in the loving, it is in the obedience that He's continuing to do His work. We don't wait. We say, Lord God, that which I have already attained, help me to live up to that. That which you have already imparted, help me to obey that. That which you have already graced, help me to manifest that. And as I do that, you will build. You will increase. You will bring the holiness. So, which brings us to our point of application this morning. And we want to respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by living in holiness according to the living and abiding word of God. That's what he says. That's what Peter says. He, he makes it very clear. He says we can live in holiness only when we live according to the word of God. He says the living. That means it's active. All you medical folks know this. You know, there has to be, there has to be an active ingredient in something that comes into you for it to do something in you. The word of God is living. It is active. There are active ingredients in this word of God. And so we receive it into ourselves. And then it is abiding. It is enduring. It doesn't pass away. He says the, the, the grass will fade and the flowers will fade and everything around you will fade and everything that you see in this world will fade. But the word of God, the living and enduring word of God will never fail, never fade, never pass away. So he says you've got to live according to this word. You've got to carry this word in your heart and in your lives. And that's where I want to reiterate or reinforce the importance of the Word of God. Every Sunday when we get together, that's what we're saying. Lord God, we want to know your Word and we want to apply your Word. We want to live according to your Word so that what is manifest in our lives is the holiness of God, not because of our action, but because, or our sort of self sort of actions, but because of our obedience to the Word of God that gives us clear instruction. The Word of God is complete. We're going to come later into Peter making the statement that the Word of God is complete. It has given us everything we need. Everything we need for life and godliness, the Word of God has already given it to us. It is up to us to apply, to take charge, or to take to heart what He has commanded us. So this morning, even as we close, even as we continue to go through these epistles, I encourage you, read what we've already read through, but read ahead into the rest of First Peter, into Second Peter. You'll see these themes being reinforced again and again. But let us now be people who are not merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word, applying the truths that he has said so that we will say, Lord, what is the action item for me to live a holy life? It's not to be pious in some way, but it is to do what you have said, not to conform to all my past behaviors, not to return to that. Lord, it is not to do, you know, to live frivolously in this world, but to conduct myself with holy fear, with reverent fear, and, and live as an exile, live as an ambassador of Christ in this world, and it is to love one another fervently, sincerely, with a pure heart, from a pure heart. Our church needs to be a place where these things are manifest. When people walk in here, 
They must say, you are a group of people. They may not know these verses. They may not be able to say it in these words, but they should be testifying of each one of us that this is what we're doing, that this is how we're living. Then they won't even have to say, oh, you're such holy people. They will see the holiness of God manifest, and they will say, I want this too. I want this too. Because the Lord's call when he says, be holy, because I am holy, is such a wonderfully welcoming, life-transforming, beautiful experience that we want to have for ourselves and for all the people that we encounter. We want them to be holy too. We want them to be drawn to the embrace of the Father. We want them to be enveloped in his love. That comes because we will manifest these truths. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much, Lord, that you are holy. That, Lord, there is no, nothing else. You are holy. And that, Lord, you have said, be holy because I am holy. As a wonderful, wonderful, Lord, invitation for us to draw close to you. Lord, without being holy, we can't even come into the presence of the Lord. But because you cover us over with your blood, because you cleanse us from within, because we, we are clothed with garments of praise and righteousness in your presence, we can draw near. We can come into your, Lord, and just be in your embrace, in your bosom, joined to you. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Father, this week, Lord, through the rest of this month, through the rest of this year, through the days of our lives, Lord, help us to live in such a way that we will say, Lord God, I want to be holy because you are holy. Come, Lord Jesus. Let this word take a hold of us. Let this word, Lord, resonate and be ringing in our ears. Lord, let us see this not as some impossible, Lord, standard or impossible command, but rather as the most wonderfully loving statement that the Lord can make. Oh, Lord God, we want to be holy because you are holy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.